after all the waiting and all the buildup, it's almost over. I know we can't applaud in church, but boy, that's close, isn't it? Woo! We are just over a day away from the presidential election. It seems like it started about 18 years ago. And it's amazing to me to watch the news, to read the news online, to see social media, and see all that, that goes on, and see all that's shared around, all that's talked about, and it's, it's just constant. And before I go on with this lesson, let me hasten to say this is not a political sermon. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for or who to vote against. That has zero place in the pulpit. None. And if you parse my words and think I'm talking about any one particular person, any one particular candidate, sorry, you're just wrong. I'm not. Because that has no place whatsoever in a sermon. But I want to talk this morning for a little while. I love this country. And I love... Tuesday. I love that Tuesday in November. I'm kind, of, I'm kind of a hopeless romantic when it comes to election day. Some people early vote, and that's fine. I, I, I've done that before. That's in Tennessee. One time I had to. I, it was the only way I could get, get a vote in, so I had to. But I, I'm one of those that actually enjoys going out somewhere and, and standing in line or whatever and, and knowing that across the country people are casting about. I think that's just cool. I, I just, I'm kind of a hopeless romantic about that. Now, I don't want to stand in one of those five-hour lines to do it, but I, I like that knowing, as we sing, from sea to shining sea, people are doing the same thing. No matter who they vote for, on any particular uh, issue or any particular office, I, I love that. But as we've gotten closer to this particular election, it has extremely concerned me. Not that Christians are concerned, because we should be concerned but the Christians are worried, and Christians are anxious. And we're thinking about who's going to be residing at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, and boy, if this person gets in, or if that person gets in, it's, it's all about worry, and it's all about anxiousness. And due to living in a time where we have the explosion of a 24-hour news cycle and just a, a deluge on social media. It's all we think about, it seems. It's just constant. You can't get away from it. Even if you want to, you can't seem to get away from it. And some Christians have gone beyond being concerned to being worried. And we know what goes, has gone on in our country. We know that we have moved further away from biblical morality. I understand that. And some are concerned that if this person or that person or if either person or whoever gets in whatever office, that that's going to continue. What what can we do? If this person gets elected, I'm scared. If that person gets elected, I'm scared. If that party's in charge, if that party's in charge, I'm scared. Or what happens if Christianity continues to sort of be marginalized in society? What if it even goes so far as to literally be illegal to stand for certain biblical principles or to even be a Christian. What can the righteous do? Did you notice in the text that we read together, as Ethan read it a few minutes ago, that we read that exact same question? I want you to open your Bible this morning to Psalm 11. Here's what often happens when people write about or preach about Psalm 11. There's that verse in verse 3 where David said, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And so quite often what people do then is they take that question or that statement in question and they talk about all the different foundations 
that are being destroyed in our country. We're talking about maybe the, the breakdown of the home, and then we go to passages maybe in Ephesians or elsewhere and talk about the home. And we talk about maybe issues of sexuality, and we talk about Romans chapter 1 or 1 Corinthians 6 and talk about those things. And we go to all these places in the Bible as proof of these foundations that are falling apart, and here's what the righteous can do. And that's fine. That's, that's, that's important to do to see the, the whole picture of Scripture. But here's what's sad about that. So often we jump all over the Bible to answer the question, and it's answered in Psalm 11. And so this morning, I want us to keep our thoughts in the 11th Psalm. And whether it's something personal in your life that you're worried about, whether it's the election on Tuesday or just the general drift of morality, I want us to see what the righteous can do. Because David shares it with us in this one poem. He shares at least three things that I want us all to remember must be priorities in our life. What can the righteous do? Number one, no matter what happens, the righteous can trust God. We're reading this psalm together a few minutes ago. Did you notice that things were not exactly going very well for David at the time time this poem was written? In verse 2, he said, For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright of heart. Now, considering it's David writing in the time in which he lived, that could be literal. He could have had people literally pulling their, their bowstrings back and attacking him or attacking others who were trying to do what's right. I, I believe that's possible, but I think it's more po- probable that he's just simply saying that's, that's what it's like. It's as if it's be, you're being attacked for being righteous. And in that day and time, that would have included or been involved in shooting an arrow at somebody, whichever the case is, whether it's literal or whether it's poetic or, or, or just a word picture, he's saying that there are those who do not like what the righteous are doing. They are against the righteous. And yet with all of that stress and all of that difficulty on his mind, was David panicking and worrying and fretting all the time? No. Instead, in that very same poem, he wrote some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture. Because the opening line of this poem says, In the Lord I take refuge. It's also in this very same poem that you have one of the instances, the famous line, the Lord is in His holy temple. That's found in verse 3. And the verse continues, the the Lord's throne is in heaven. What's, What's David's attitude? I'm paraphrasing here, but basically David is saying, I don't care what's going on around me. I don't care how negative it gets or how difficult it gets. I'm going to trust in God. Why do so many people, even Christians, get so worried and so anxious over things like what we're going to see on Tuesday? What might happen on Tuesday? What could happen on Tuesday? There are a lot of reasons, but may I suggest just one that steps on my toes often as well. It's because we too often put our trust in a person or even in a party instead of in God. People are going to let us down. That's all there is to it. Even the best people are going to let us down at times. But God will not. God's very nature is to be trustworthy. Another psalmist wrote, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all His work is done in faithfulness. Psalm 33 and verse 4. Remember the words of the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth? He said, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 25. It's as if Paul was saying, if God could do something foolish, which he can't, but if God could do something foolish, that would still be wiser than anything any person has ever come up with. Isaiah, speaking in behalf of God, said, Fear not, for I am with you. 
Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41 and verse 10. And later in that same chapter, he said, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is from everlasting, is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. That's verse 28 of Isaiah 40. A writer of a couple generations ago named Donald G. Miller was writing about Psalm 11, and he wrote these words. He said, The foundations of society as we know it may be crumbling, but not the foundations of the universe. Look beyond, therefore, with the eyes of faith to eternal foundations, which, when all is shaken that can be shaken, they remain. Yes, I care who leads us. I care who sits in different levels of government. Absolutely, I care. But that's not where my trust is. The Bible and history make it clear that God can and God does use both righteous and unrighteous, both godly and ungodly, to accomplish His ultimate will. No matter who wins, no matter who loses this week, the question that Christians must always seek to answer is, is my trust in God? Not a politician. Christian, what can the righteous do? I can trust God. Even if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? In the second place, the righteous can continue being righteous. The end of verse 4 states, The eyelids of God test the children of mankind or man. And then verse 5 reads, The Lord tests the righteous, but His soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Verse 5 is the key. No matter what is going on in the world around us, Christians cannot then drift toward immorality. But we can and we must remain righteous in the way that God would define righteousness, not in some way that I might make up over time. I'm going to say a couple things here that are probably going to make some people mad. That's okay. I'm used to it. <laughs> but out of this worry and out of this concern that I've seen over the last few weeks and months, the deluge of information is fine. I'm thankful to live in a time where we can share our thoughts and opinions and conversations and social media and read about on outlets. That's, that's wonderful. But I have seen Christians who have attacked the character of politicians, who have defamed politicians, and who have, yes, shared things that are completely untrue. And that has no place in the life of a Christian. The New Testament does not suggest. The New Testament commands, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. The New Testament commands, not suggests, that our speech should be with grace, seasoned with salt. Colossians 4 and verse 6. May I ask, which of those commands give us an out because it's a presidential election? Which of those commands give us an out because I'm typing on Facebook instead of having a face-to-face conversation? I'm not saying we can't stand up for issues. Of course we must. But Jesus told those around Him we can be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Matthew 10 and verse 16. You see, for too many Christians, and look, I'm speaking to myself here too. This is a struggle for all of us, I think. For too many Christians, though, we see a drift towards immorality in this particular direction or on this particular issue. 
And because of that then, we go to the other extreme and become harsher and crueler in what we say about that issue or about those people. When the Bible never gives us that out. The Bible simply says we stand for truth. And yes, we must. We must stand for truth. We must preach the truth. We must stand against evil. But we cannot be wrong in standing for what's right. We can't. And folks, there are Christians, and dare I say even some in this room, who have spread things on social media that are flat out untrue and defaming and demeaning. And that is wrong. Whether you agree with a politician or not, or a party or not, there is no place for that in the life of a Christian. The righteous must continue to be righteous. I cannot come up with my own standard of righteousness just because it's a political season or because I'm really worried about that person or because I'm really worried about that party or what they might do. God's Word is always righteous. And Christians must stand out from the crowd as those who stand up for what's right but not in a way that's wrong. But beyond that, no matter who wins on Tuesday or who, whoever comes out on top or loses or whatever on Tuesday, that was, it's never going to give me the right to do what's wrong. I must continue to live righteously. David was living in a time when people were trying to kill those who were righteous. And he didn't say, well, that gives me an out to do what's wrong. No, he says the Lord may be using this as a test. The Lord tests the righteous. Could it be? Could it be that the contentious political season we're in is a test? And I'm sorry, but a lot of us are failing big time. Folks, Christians never have a reason to do wrong. We have a reason to stand for truth, but always in a way that is loving and clear and kind. The righteous can and must continue to be righteous. What can the righteous do? Even the foundations are destroyed. Number three, the righteous, thankfully, can maintain a sense of divine companionship. Have you noticed the beautiful way this poem ends? Verse 7 says, For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold His face. It's that last line that should be the, the most wonderful thing to us, fills us with joy and gratitude. The upright shall behold the face of God. Let me ask, what do you want most in this life? What do you want most in your everyday life? Well, I can come up with a long list, can't you? I mean, I pray for my country often. I want the country to go the right direction. I, I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good father. That's not what I asked. I didn't ask for a list. What do you want most in this life? Folks, the thing that every Christian should want more than anything else is to draw closer to God every day. And if that's true, if I'm seeking the face of God and drawing closer to the face of God every day, all those other things will naturally be true. I will be a better husband. I will be a better father. The, the nation will be better because I'm better. I'm more honest and filled with more integrity and all of those sorts of things. But what we want most should be to seek the face of God. And God says the upright will see His face. How beautiful is that? I, I don't care who's elected. They won't be your companion. I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. But God should be our daily companion. Jesus told his apostles in John chapter 15 and verse 15, I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my Father I've made known to you. Can you imagine sitting there that day and having the very Son of God tell them, I'm your friend. But God himself says the same thing can be true of us. 
Because in James chapter 2, verses 22 and 23, we're told that our faith leads to a friendship with God. James said, You see that faith was active along with Abraham's works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. I don't know about you, but I would much rather spend my time seeking a friendship with God than spending all my time worrying and fretting over what party might control the White House or the Capitol building. I want to seek divine companionship. I want to walk with God each and every day. In fact, every moment of every day. And the righteous can do that. David was living a time when people were trying to destroy the righteous, and yet he said, even then, the righteous shall behold the face of God. I know things are difficult. I know it's hard to be a Christian now that it has been before. I understand that. And I don't like the drift of immorality in our society. I really don't like that. But folks, we still live in a place that makes it easy to seek the face of God. So why wouldn't I spend my time doing that? Seeking that companionship that only He can provide and that He has promised to provide. I fully know that any time we talk about these kind of things, I'm running a risk. I'm running several risks, in fact. I'm running the risk of some people, and I'm sure I'll probably hear it. You're telling us that what we're doing is not important, not at all. I love it. I think it's extremely important. I think our vote is something to be stewarded for the glory of God. I'm grateful for the system in which we live that allows us that. I'm thankful for those who've gone before, who've given us that. I've never served our country in politics or in the military, but my family has had military men in its past, and for them I'm thankful. And I believe it is a privilege. It is important. And who leads is important. I'm running the risk of people trying to parse every word that I say and say, well, he may have said he wasn't talking about this person or that person, but I know who he's voting for on Tuesday. Sorry, you don't, and I'm not going to tell you even after it's over. Because it has no place. It doesn't matter who I vote for, who you vote for, as far as our inner relationships are concerned. It's not my intention to push one person, one party, or against one position or one party. That, that has zero place in the pulpit. And I run the risk of people saying, well, he's just mixing politics and religion. He's too dumb to know. You don't talk about either one of those things, much less together. Folks, for Christians, our religion colors everything that we do, including our politics. But I'm not going to push a name. I'm not going to push an agenda because that has no place in this kind of setting. So why preach a lesson like this at all? When all those risks are there and when I know some people have been mad since I started. It's simply this. There are too many Christians, even some in this room, who are too caught up in the affairs of this world to remember that our purpose is eternal. Our purpose is not a four-year cycle. Our purpose is eternal. I love my country. We try to instill in our children a love for our nation, especially our nation's history. But listen to me very carefully, folks. I was not called by the gospel to be an American. 1 Thessalonians 4 teaches us that we're called by a gospel to be Christians. I just happen to be one who lives in America. And for that, I'm thankful. And there are too many people who live in such a way that should this person or that person or this party or that party get in charge, it's as if God all of a sudden cannot be in control. God is always in control. 
no matter who is in charge. I want leaders who follow the ways of God. Absolutely. I want leaders who stand for biblical morality. Absolutely. I seek to vote for those leaders. Absolutely. But God's plans are never thwarted by who resides at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. And there are a lot of Christians who put more stock and more effort and more thought and more worry into that residence than to tell the person next door about the person who reigns in heaven forever. I will not ever side with a donkey or with an elephant because I always side with the Lamb of God. He's the only one who takes away my sin. And that's what matters. I hope you vote Tuesday. I hope you're stewarding it. I hope you're thinking about it. But folks... Even if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? We can trust God. We can continue to live a righteous life. And we can continue to seek a divine relationship with God. And not only can we, we must. Even if the righteous are destroyed, What can the righteous do? That's what we must do. The only question left for me to ask this morning is simply this. Are you righteous? Are you righteous? Are you trusting God with everything? Are you living a life that's truly righteous by His standards, not your own, by His standards? Are you seeking His face and relationship with Him more deeply than anything else each and every day? Because that's what the righteous must do. This morning, if you're not a Christian, God desires that relationship with you so much that He offered His Son on the cross to take your place. All you must do is believe in Him. Turn from sins, those things that are unrighteous, those things that are wrong. Confess that Jesus really is Lord and Savior and then be immersed in water, baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll be called a friend of God. How wonderful is that? Maybe this morning you are a Christian. Maybe it's worry. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's putting the things of this world, even politics, above the things of God. Let's live with God first. Let's live with our trust in God intact. Let's live with our righteousness always intact. Let's live with our relationship with God always first. And if you haven't, maybe you'd respond this morning to seek prayers of forgiveness or encouragement. Whatever your need is this morning, we invite you to come while we stand and sing to encourage you.